0: Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. It is good to be back today in my wife's laundry room, which is where all the serious hard work gets done around here. Recording this podcast, Um, you know, I I don't have the cool stuff. You know, some some guys who do my kind of commentary, like Eddie Robles, right? He's got a really cool setup in his basement. He's got a bunker basically with. He's got cool music, grungy effect on his camera, supplies in the background. He's raising chickens, and I'm living here. Temporarily, at least. Uh, I mean that—that's kind of where I'm at. By the way, I mean I like that stuff, but I'm—I'm I'm here living the suburbanite, uh, impoverished academic lifestyle, and—and <laughs> uh, and so my wife graciously allows me to u- use her laundry room uh, for this podcast. So here we are, and uh, you know it—it it was a good trip though, and I, I appreciate your prayers. Um, I was gone for a few days. I'm back, and uh, I will tell you more about this. You, you will find out in the coming weeks what I was up to, um, but it's not cheap um, to fly to the location I flew to, hotel, rental car, food, all of that stuff. It was totally worth it, by the way, and you'll find out uh, more later, but um, I just want to thank you uh, for, for your prayers and for those who um, contributed. Enemies within the church paid for my hotel. Um, uh, he hasn't given me permission to say his name, but, you know, a certain donor uh, paid for my my flight and then, you know, your, your patron uh, support really helped me with the other expenses. And so I'm, I'm just beyond grateful to you guys. I, I see it as the Lord providing. And, um, and by the way, um, uh, the, I'm, I thought I would take a big hit with the Patreon stuff in this COVID-19 it's gone up <laughs> last two weeks. Uh, viewership has gone up. Um, people giving has gone up and donating and, um, and, and guys, it's paying off. I, I just want to tell you, I'm excited about this project and a few other projects happening and. Uh, you, will, you will know more very soon about that. So uh, a big thank you uh, to all of you. And um, I do you know, try to be as frugal as I possibly can. Uh, I take w- with the income, whatever income that I get from that, um, I, I put right back into the work that I'm doing here. And uh, I know that's what matters to you. And so this is a team effort. You know I, I, I know, you know to, to put me um, in front of this microphone, in front of this camera is a team effort. It's not just me doing this. And so I acknowledge that. So while I was gone, uh, this is the topic for today. And oh man, this this really is, has been sticking in my craw here. Uh, we're going to talk about the Ahmad Arbery uh, incident. And while I was gone, this whole thing blew up with woke evangelicals, especially. I mean, it's it's the whole woke crowd, but of course I keep an eye more on the evangelical uh, left. And and. Uh, <laughs> I got in some trouble on Twitter. You, some of you might know what I'm talking about. I'm going to address that. But, you know, guys, I, I want to give you a big picture here for a second. You know, there, Joe Carter had put out an article, um, I believe in the Gospel Coalition recently, uh, last day or two, about conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories are just so bad. We shouldn't believe them. we got to be careful. It's just so bad. Uh, evangelicals, we're Christians. We, uh, we, we, we have to distance ourselves from that. And... And I've talked to you guys before about conspiracy theories. Well, if you want to talk about an unsubstantiated conspiracy theory, it's the way that woke evangelicals are spinning this Ahmad Arbery situation. Uh, It's racism. It's white supremacy. uh, He was just jogging while black. Um, None of this. None of the evidence points to any of this. In fact, it points to the opposite of most of this. This interpretation is is wrong, guys. It's just wrong and and based on what we already know and we haven't even let the due process take its course but i want you to think about all the things that these woke evangelicals aren't talking about that aren't problems i mean there's prayers across the country now because i've heard some of them i'm gonna show you some of them in churches where you know they're just praying for uh this this horrible crummy american society that's racist and kills people because they're black and oh, it's just we, we demand justice uh, someone who's as far away geographically in the country from georgia as they could possibly be praying for this horrible country because of this local incident that took place in georgia that hasn't even been or verdict hasn't even been reached on what are they not paying attention to they're not paying attention to our civil liberties being taken away um, in fact it's it's others it's political conservatives who are fighting for those it's not the evangelical industrial complex. Am I? And what I mean by that, big Eva publishing companies, the moneyed evangelical, the moneyed class, those who constantly say that you know we got to be so concerned about oppression, but they tend to be the ones that are actually the powerful, the ones in control. Um, they are the ones pushing this narrative hardcore, and and, and those who listen to them, and uh, and they're not paying attention to other things, they're not paying attention to this whole situation with Michael Flynn and uh, Obama's complicity. I mean. I mean, you want to talk about corruption on a national level, uh, it, it's just, it's sickening. What about all the, uh, the verified shootings that have taken place? I mean, there's, I'm going to show you some of these, uh, but in the last two years, uh, there's been at least two joggers I know of, actual joggers, not like they're saying they're jogging after the fact, but they were jogging, who have been killed by illegal aliens in this country, and uh, not a peep, not a peep from this crowd, but now... We're going to raise the roof about this Ahmad Arbery situation. And granted, guys, this is a very sad situation. It should break our hearts. When you see a video like that, It that's the natural. If you don't have that reaction, then um, maybe you've watched a lot of movies. That's possible. We've been desensitized. But you sh- there should be something. There really should be something of, man, what a horrible thing. I, I, I can't believe... Uh, you know that would happen. I think that's a normal thing, and of course, we can believe in a sinful world that would happen. It will always happen, but, um, but it, but it, it is a tragic thing. So there's someone who's dead, and and uh, and so we're going to talk about this. I'm going to give you the facts uh, that we know of the situation that I think are relevant, and then we're going to talk about the reaction, the woke evangelical reaction. And last but not least, we're going to talk about biblical justice. I want to give you kind of a guide for dealing with situations like this um, as much as possible, and. Uh, I, and I'll start it off this way, guys. Resolution 9, we talk about it uh, quite a bit, but um, it got a lot of press because it was the first time the Southern Baptists had endorsed critical race theory and intersectionality as analytical tools. And I think a lot of people still think that this was some kind of future direction that the woke guys wanted to take the SBC. It was not. And, and I know that 100%. Uh, I graduated from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, this was justification for what was already taking place. At least two of the guys on that committee, um, Whitfield and Strickland, were uh, professors at Southeastern. The chairman uh, was um, Curtis Woods. It was using critical race theory in his dissertation. They were already using critical race theory. That's the point, or worked for institutions that did. And this was a way of justifying what was already taking place. And guys, this situation with almond Arbery and the way that this is being handled and interpreted by evangelicals who are woke uh, is using critical race theory as an analytical tool. This is a good uh, exhibit A if you really want to know what that looks like. And it's the subversion of justice. It is, the, is antithetical to biblical justice. And, and the guys who are taking this side and, and, and not recanting or repenting of it, not realizing, you know, I, mean, I understand sometimes you get taken in, you hear wrong facts, you see, but if, if you are confronted with the facts, And I mean, to be honest with you, I I almost don't want to say that because it's so cut and dry. You shouldn't attribute false motives. But for those who are um, attributing these false motives, and maybe you heard it from somewhere else, and now you're confronted with the facts and you don't change, I don't know why anyone should ever listen to you again. It's it's the height of dishonesty. It's the subversion of justice. It is antithetical to scripture. And we're going to look at all of that. So let's uh, let's, let's start with the situation here. February 23rd in the afternoon, it's around 2 o'clock, Ahmed Arbery is killed during an altercation with Travis McMichael. And if you're you're watching, um, I I have some maps here. I want to show you, because I think this actually is important. I haven't seen anyone else looking at it from this bird's eye view, but there's a 911 call before this whole incident takes place. Out here, there is a guy in the house right now is what someone unidentified but someone who calls 911 he says it's a house under construction 219 or 220 satilla drive in brunswick georgia so this is um it's one of these houses here if you're watching uh and i'm just going to describe things to you if you're listening but you can see that um in the one that's zoomed out here it's kind of like a little peninsula here it's just a residential area with a peninsula like um it's it's kind of off the beaten path We'll put it that way. And I know it's, it's over two miles from some reports I was reading from uh, this individual's home, which is, I mean, if you're jogging, that is within, you know, you jog two miles or more. But uh, that's, that's where it is. But it's completely residential. Uh, you, you think, you know, a place where everyone would probably know each other, and it's bordering uh, this kind of inlet from the ocean. And the house uh, that Ahmed Arbury had broken into was bordering the 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 water here and so if he if he went in there first of all you're going to see this in a minute if he tried it was going to the bathroom or something there's actually actually a porta potty right outside the house so he's not going in there looking for i I need to go to the bathroom which would be wrong anyway but in case someone wants to float that theory Um, but he's not taking a shortcut either he's not you know i'm going to cut through this person's yard because if he's there's no reason to do that it's bordering the water he's not trying to go for a swim. He wasn't wearing swimming trunks. Um, and you know, and, and it doesn't get you to any other road. It's, it's really off the beaten path completely. So this guy who's across the street um, comes out, a neighbor, says there's a guy in the house right now. It's under construction. And you're going to see the picture in a minute. It's not under construction and like half built. It's actually It looks like someone could be living there. But no one is because it's under construction. And, and you know that because there's a porta potty outside and there's, you know, on the window, uh, there's a notice that it's under construction. So 30 seconds after this 911 call says, and he's running right now. And there's a sense of urgency. And he says it like three or four times. Um, and there were two 911 calls. And, um, and, and you hear, I think it's in the second one, you hear a guy, another guy who calls in he's yelling, stop, hey, stop, you know, trying to get this, uh, trying to get Ahmed Arbery to stop while after he starts running. All right, so uh, so I'm so en- envision the situation. You're a neighbor, you're you're looking across the street. You see a guy walk into a house, and uh, and then he comes out and he notices you, which the video seems to indicate that's probably the case. He's noticing that hey, there's someone watching me, and he bolts it. I mean, it looks suspicious, right? He's been uh, caught on camera a bunch before at night, kind of an ongoing thing out here, is what the 911 caller says. And then he says he's done run back run through the neighborhood in our front yard. So he's in he's in this guy's front yard. Now, um that's that's setting up the situation. So this guy's under the impression that hey, this is the this is a robber, this is a burglar who's been casing joints and uh, taking things. And we've caught him on camera, and or at least he's been intending to do that. And, and we've, we've already caught him. And, and here he is in broad daylight. I, I caught him finally. And he's calling 911, which was the right thing to do, right, to call 911. So here is um, a video of this situation. And I'm gonna just walk through this with you because this video is 2.08 p.m. in the afternoon. It starts, and um, and this is the one that's not being shown a whole lot, but it, this is the other video. So you see a man, believed to be Arbury, he's walking down the street. He's not going for a jog. He's just walking, and he walks right up into the garage, walks into the garage, and then, you know, minute later, he's, he's walking around. He walks around the back, and, you know, what's he, what's he doing? He's, he's checking the place out. He doesn't have an intended mission, you know, Going into it, and so uh, he's in there a few minutes. You know, camera, uh, this is a surveillance camera from a house right across the street. You can see the the porta potty right outside. You can see um, how there's uh, looks like a little permit on the door, and then you see an unidentified figure enters the upper left frame. and And, and it, here's here's what's going on. It's, it's unclear what he's doing, but the police report says a neighbor called nine one. It's probably the neighbor, and he walks out. To the street, right in front of the house, and he's watching the house. He's just watching, calling the cops, um, most likely, and uh, it's it's hard to tell in the video. And then Arbury walks out of it looks like the garage, and he start and he runs, and he see, he sees the guy, presumably who's calling the police. He just runs, and I mean, you can't tell me that doesn't look suspicious in some way, right? So um, then you see uh, this is really hard to tell, but it's it's sort of the upper left hand corner of the camera. Uh two identified figures appear to move near a parked white truck in the vicinity of Traffic McMichael's address and that truck then drives down Satilla Drive. And and so uh you know, there's some guys that, that also saw it uh where they were called and notified and and they get in their car and they're gonna they're gonna go after Arbery, And the guy who made the nine one one call just walks back uh to his house, presumably. And, and so now it's, uh, it's 2.17. And I know um, I've watched the video before. So a police car is about to come barreling down Satilla Drive. And um, I'm just going to let you watch this because I, I want everyone to see this before, it, uh, see, before you see the other video. You should probably at least see this one if you want to get a more complete picture. And uh, so nothing's happened yet. It's been a few minutes now. And then a police cruiser drives by the construction site. It's now 2.19. And uh, and so there's the police cru- cruiser, almost 2.20, coming by the construction site, going down Satilla Drive, responding. So it's been a few minutes. This is during the time that Arbery is being confronted, and uh, perhaps he's already been, uh, I don't know, he, he may have been sh- shot at, at this point. Um. And uh, let's see if I can skip ahead here a little bit. I know another. There's there's another vehicle, another cruiser, another police cruiser. I know comes barreling down the drive at like a really fast speed uh, towards the end of this video. Uh, a couple minutes later, and there it is. 222. After 222, um, another police cruiser comes by, and there he is. All right. So that's, that's what we have uh, from this particular video. Now, um, here's what the police report said the day of. I'm going to just read this to you. And it's in, guys, this might be boring for some of you, but it's important. If you really want to weigh in on this, then, then you need to know what actually happened. Here's what the police said. Upon my arrival, I observed Officer Minshew setting up a perimeter. I began speaking with Gregory McMichael, who was a witness to the incident. McMichael stated that there had been several break-ins in the neighborhood, and further, the suspect was caught on surveillance video. Um, and I guess that's a typo, I'm not sure. In, uh, in his front yard, and saw the suspect from saw the suspect from the break-ins. So McMichael is identifying uh, this guy as the sub- su- suspect uh, in the break-ins. And he says that he's, he's going fast. He's, he's, hey, uh, he, he was really running hard, like, like he had done something wrong is the implication there. Uh, down Satilla Drive toward Buford uh, Burford Drive, McMichael stated he then ran inside his house and called to Travis and said, Travis, the guy is running down the streets. Let's go. McMichael stated he went to his bedroom and grabbed his magnum and Travis grabbed his shotgun because they didn't know if the male was armed or not. Michael stated the other night they saw the same male and he stuck his hands down his pants, which led them to believe he was a male. Uh, the male was armed. So, so look what for all the people that are, are weighing in on this and saying, well, how, how in the world did they think it was okay to have a gun while confronting? It doesn't say they pointed the gun at this guy. It doesn't say that It just says they had the gun, they had guns with them. And the reason was because they thought this guy might have a gun. If he's the guy that's, robbing houses and we saw him reach for something the other night and that's who they that's how they identified him and it stands to reason well we we better be protected if we're going to confront this guy because he may shoot us fair enough so whether whether you agree with it or not think they should have uh gone after him or not it was for protection as we presume we, we need to give benefit of the doubt as much as possible that they they brought the gun now um michael then states He and Travis got in the truck, drove down Satilla Drive towards Burford Drive. McMichael stated that when they arrived at the intersection of Satilla and Holmes Drive, they saw the unidentified male running down Burford Drive. McMichael then stated Travis uh, had Travis drive down Burford and attempted to cut off the male. Uh, The unidentified male turned around and began running back in the direction from which he came and uh, Roddy, um, attempted to block him, which was unsuccessful. Michael stated he then jumped into the bed of the truck. He and Travis continued to Holmes in an attempt to intercept him. So this guy's already evade, evaded them stopping him. They're calling out to him. They're, they're saying, uh, we, we heard this on in the second 911 call, uh, but they're, they're, they're saying, hey, stop. And he doesn't stop. And he tries to evade them. Well, that, if you're already suspicious, you think you saw this guy on camera, you think he might have a gun, you saw him... Uh, go into this house, Um, and now he's trying not to be caught, then you think, well, he probably did something wrong. When Michael stated, they saw the unidentified male and shouted, stop, stop, we want to talk to you. Michael stated they pulled up beside the male and shouted stop again, at which time Travis exited the truck with the shotgun. When Michael stated the unidentified male began to violently attack Travis, and the two men then started fighting over the shotgun, at which point Travis fired a shot, and then a second later, there was a second shot. Michael uh, stated the, the male fell face down on the pavement with his hand under his body. McMichael stated he rolled the man over to see if the male had a weapon. Now, uh, this is, this is consistent with the video. Um, the video shows the same thing. This, you know, he's jogging down the street. And by the way, I'm not going to show that video because I think everyone's seen this video. Next time you watch the video though, I want you to watch for something. Look at how, uh, how Ahmad is, is dressed, especially his shoes. And look, people can run in in boots, but he's running in, he has boots on. These aren't running shoes. And the video, the surveillance video doesn't start off with him. He's not running. He's walking into the house. He only starts running when he notices that someone's watching him. That's what it appears to look like. Okay. And I'm saying appears, but from the evidence we have, that's, that, that seems to be what's taking place. So to say this guy is just a jog, jogger. Joggers, you know, they generally they're they're not wearing those kinds of boots. They're not just walking and going into people's houses, and um, and they're not trying to evade uh, like that. Um, you know, just just by nature of them jogging. You know, um, his his running had a motivation to it. Now, uh, let's keep going here. Here's uh, this is from a DA report. Um, I'm just going to read this. Travis McMichael, Greg McMichael, and Brian William were following in hot pursuit, a burglary suspect with solid first-hand probable cause in their neighborhood and asking, telling him to stop. It appears their intent was to stop and hold this criminal suspect until law enforcement arrived under Georgia law. This is perfectly legal. Uh, Arbury was running along the right side of McMichael truck and then abruptly turns 90 degrees to the left and attacks Travis McMichael who was standing at the front left corner of the truck. A brief skirmish ensues in which it appears Arbury strikes McMichael and appears to grab the shotgun and pull it from McMichael. This was the beginning or almost immediately became a fight over the shotgun. Arbury initiated the fight at the point Arbury grabbed the shotgun. Under Georgia law, McMichael was allowed to use deadly force to protect himself. There's insufficient probable cause to issue arrest warrants at this time. And this is George Barnhill, who has over 100 homicides. I mean, he's been in the force for years. And, you know, this is this is his opinion on it. Then this is an important um, now this is, he has, all the laws are cataloged, cataloged in this. This, this does look to be perfectly legal. And even if you watch the video, it does seem to, it corroborates with this. Uh, you, you have McMichael standing there, uh, with a shotgun and they're, they're saying, Hey, stop. And then you have this guy, um, Ahmad, he, he makes a, he does make a 90 degree turn. He's on the other side of the truck. He runs over and he starts hitting them. And he grabs the shotgun. And so to say that this guy is just a jogger and unarmed is not true. He was armed. Or at least he was trying to become armed. He had his hands on a shotgun. That doesn't mean, if he's, if someone's trying to grab, if you have a gun, and someone comes and they try to, they're they punching you and trying to grab your gun, are they unarmed? No, they're not. Because they're trying to take your weapon and presumably kill you with it. So let, let's just dispel these two notions right now, that this guy is a jogger. And, and we know that for a fact. And, and that he was unarmed. Well, at the beginning he was, but as soon as he grabbed that shotgun and started uh, initiating force, he wasn't unarmed anymore. And I'm, I'm sorry if, if you don't like that. But, you know, and, and it is, it's a horrible situation, guys. I have to emphasize, it really is. Um, I, I'm sure you know, the McMichaels feel bad about it. But there's more to this. I'm going to keep going here. So Greg McMichael had investigated Arbery before. These two were not strangers. They knew each other. In his letter of recusal to Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr, Waycross Judicial Circuit Court District Attorney Roger Barnhill wrote that his son, a prosecutor in the Brunswick DA's office and McMichael, then an investigator in that same office, both helped with the previous prosecution of Ahmaud Arbery. So Arbery was prosecuted before? McMichael, a former Glynn County cop, told Glynn police he recognized Arbery, 25, from surveillance video that captured a reg- recent burglary in his mostly white neighborhood. He said he planned to make a citizen's arrest. So that that's you know that's another important facet of this. Um, these guys are being called vigilantes. What they did was perfectly within the law. That's not vigilantes operate outside the boundaries of the law. These guys were not doing that, and so. The crowd that wants to make out, oh, this is just vigilantism, which frankly, it, it's you're, you're tarring and feathering these guys and you you don't understand the law. You don't understand what actually was taking place. Now, was it wise for them to do this? I happen to, my, I'll just give you my gut opinion, no. I think they should have just called the police and let it alone. But now that you are getting this extra information, you might understand a little more why they went after him. Um, the reason is, is because... Um, McMichael, Greg McMichael, uh, was a retired officer. He was the police recently. It's probably his mode, just that's the way he operates. He's used to that. Um, and he knew this guy. Now, maybe, I don't know whether he recognized him or not, but, you know, I'm sure once Ahmad Arbery got close enough to see Greg McMichael, uh, they, he would have recognized, oh, no, this is the guy that I sat across a table from and was investigated by. And what was he investigated for? It says, when he was in high school, Arbery was sentenced to five years probation as a first offender on charges of carrying a weapon on campus and several counts of obstructing a law enforcement officer. He was convicted of probation violation in 2018 after he was charged with shoplifting, court documents show. But Michael, who retired from the DA's office in April 2019, made no mention of his work on that investigation to police, though it's unknown whether he remembered it at the time. And this is reported uh, from the Star. This is really crucial information, guys. So that, that would be another reason they might have taken guns with them. If if McMichael had recognized that's the guy that was armed and had broken probation from shoplifting, and now he's robbing our neighborhood, of course he thinks that Ahmad will have a gun. Of course he's going to bring something to protect himself. And it would make sense why Ahmad would have run, because he's noticing that's the, that's the cop. He doesn't know he's retired, probably. Um, and so... So, so this is information that you're not hearing out there, guys, and it's important. It's really crucial for this whole entire case. Now, this is this this is another angle, another um, facet of this. You you also, I think, need to understand the Brunswick County uh, Judicial Circuit DA, Jackie Johnson, recused herself right away because of conflict of interest, um, because of uh, I believe it was a relationship uh, with Greg McMichael. Uh, or or his son, or it, it, there there was there there was some kind of a working relationship that happened. So she recused herself. Uh, I, I, there's a conflict of interest. I can't take the case. Well, look at the social media outrage. Burn the witch. Hi, Jackie Johnson. How long have you hated black people and protected killers? Uh, you only protect white people. You are not a good person. Um, KKKs hiding behind badges and titles. You have blood on your hands. So I mean, the list goes on. These are just a few examples. It's, it's horrendous. Look at—I mean, I just want you to see the picture of this person. This is a human being too, made in God's image. I know the Russell Moors of the world and the J.D. Greers love to bring up humans made in God's image every time something like this happens. But there's everyone's made in God's image, and and you know there's there's more than this is a bad thing too to go after her for this, uh, for not arresting them essentially initially when she didn't have—I mean, it would have been thrown out of court. Probably, if she did, if she had advised that, because they didn't have grounds for it. Um, you, you would, you think this investigator, McMichael, he would have known the law, right? And so he, you know, anyway. Um, so here's why the investigation was held up. There's really three reasons. Number one, on April 1st, Georgia District Attorney George Barnhill receives a autopsy report. So this is the, a, a new DA, right? So that so they one DA recused themselves. Here's another DA, Georgia Barnhill. And that's when he receives the autopsy, not until April 1st. You think COVID might have had something to do with this? Maybe. April 2nd, the DA states um, they were waiting on this important evidentiary article before finalizing their opinions. Well, that seems wise. Wait until the autopsy report. So this idea that, we should have arrested him right away. Well, they were waiting for more evidence. They didn't have enough evidence. The mother, though, wanted Barnhill off the case, the mother of Arbery. However, since we were initially requested to handle the case, uh, this is what Barnhill says, the victim's mother has clearly expressed she wants myself and my uh, office off the case since my son works in the Brunswick District Attorney's Office where Greg McMichael retired some time ago. So she believes there are kinships between the parties There are not, but um, has made other unfounded allegations of biases. So this Barnhill is saying, his mother is saying, wants me off the case, he recuses himself. Uh, He also says this, and this is the third reason, given the governor's current shelter-in-place order and Justice Melton's judicial emergency order, I cannot venture a guess as to when they will move on this request. And once another is found, another DA, when, when the district attorney will have the staff available to review the case file, I hope for all involved it will move along as quickly as possible. So guys, let's just be real clear here. This idea that, well, justice hasn't been served. This has taken way too long. There's three reasons that it's been taking long. COVID-19 is one of those reasons. Second reason is you have DAs recusing themselves, two of them. So they have to keep finding DAs. Um, and so and, and I guess those will be the two reasons, the two DAs recusing themselves. So there's, there's more to meets the eye here. It's not just oh, the ju- justice system is just a failure. Um, you know, For all of you guys who are saying, well, you just got to social distance and uh, you got to stay home, but you want swift justice on this, think through that for a minute. Think through that. So, this was taken from a February 23rd letter uh, to Captain uh, Jump, I believe is the name, from um, Barnhill. Now, let's move on. Um, DA's opinion. I just want to read for these for you. There is an immediate pressure on your department as to the issue of arrest. I'm talking to the police department here in this letter. And he's talking about public pressure. There's public pressure now. I think public pressure getting involved has changed um, maybe the way that this is being handled. Even the arrest, that it's possible. Now, I, I could be wrong on that. I don't really have evidence for that, but he's just acknowledging there's public pressure. Uh, myself and one of the senior trial attorneys have reviewed the evidence extensively and concur on all points. The autopsy supports the initial opinion we gave you on February 24th. We do not see grounds for an arrest of any of these three parties. Do you want to live in a world where... If someone attacks you and you're not, you, know, you have a gun in your hand, right? Which is legal, right? It's legal in Georgia. Uh, it, it, I mean, it should be. Second Amendment says that's legal anyway. But it, it's legal. You have a gun and someone attacks you and starts punching you and trying to grab your gun to kill you that you can't fight back. It's a it's a little unclear. I mean, the initial police report said you know the the shots were fired by Michael, but that's even a little unclear. In what the DA said, he said it, it, you can't tell from the camera. It's a struggle over the shotgun, and who knows who pulled the trigger? Shots were fired in that struggle. But do you want to live in that world? Where I mean, put the shoe on the other foot for a minute, change the ethnic makeup. Uh, let's say it's a white supremacist of some kind, like a real not. Like Michael, there's no evidence he's a white supremacist at all. But let's say a real white supremacist is going after a minority of some kind, and should that minority then, if they if they have a weapon, they they just can't use it because they should just take the beating. Well, I don't think we want to grow up in a world. We want our kids to grow up in a world like that. I hope not. That's not true justice at all. I'm gonna show you that in a minute. But um, that's that's the conclusion you'd have to draw. All right. So Tom Durden uh, becomes the new DA pro t- tempore and he formally appointed. It uh, was formally appointed because the other DAs accused themselves, and he issues a press release, and he informs of his intent to try the case before a grand jury for consideration of criminal charges. So w- once we get to the point of arrest it's because a third da has weighed in and by now public opinion is just screaming and and that could be part of it now may 5th uh the footage was released so uh if we're looking at dates here um i believe this letter is also may 5th so the same day that tom durden uh says hey grand jury is the same day that uh the lawyer for the family of our arby's family releases uh this footage or or makes known that this footage exists it had already been released on youtube i guess and um and you know the lawyer just says this is murder this is murder uh pursued by three white men we're injecting race into this so three white men now this is where race starts getting injected guys it's it the lawyer is is depending on that now here's here are the the photos you see this is the optics of it may 7th gregory and travis mcmichael are arrested and and here are their their mugshots. Here's I, I want to show you this, this is a Mod Arbery. On the left is the picture that you've seen over and over again. I think that's a prom picture, or something. It, it's it's formal event and it looks like it's a prom picture. He's smiling and everything. Look on the right. This is another picture. This is the mugshot picture for when he. Um, uh, I'm assuming this is from 2018 when he violated probation and shoplifted. Have you have any of you seen that picture? And I want to ask you a question. Why? Why is the one on the left the only one used? And how come... Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, I can't find it. Um, how come the picture of Travis uh, and Gregory McMichael... Are, th- this is the picture you're seeing. They're not going for, to their Facebook to find the best pictures of them. They're, they're showing these pictures. And before these were available, they were showing a picture of them hunting. Trying to make them look like a bunch of rednecks. I'm telling you, there's there's more going on here. So... What are some of the reactions? Uh, here's just a few. And this is what you'd expect. Action alert, end ACP. Um, Ahmed Arbery was running in his neighborhood and was chased and murdered by two white supremacists. That is, that, that, that is an outright, I mean, it's a lie. It's a lie at this point. You have no, it, it, look, if it comes out that they're white supremacists and that's why they did it, and you know something we don't know, you better release it. Otherwise, you're just accusing someone. Without actual evidence. Joe Biden. The video is clear. Ahmad Arbery was killed in cold blood. My heart goes out to his family. How do you know he was killed in, in cold blood? How do you know that? It's time for a swift, full, and transparent investigation into his murder. I love swift justice, but the Democrats seem to never want it when it comes to their side. They never called for swift justice with Hillary Clinton. They tried to, uh, try, tried to put every roadblock in the way of that. Time Magazine, Atlanta mayor calls Ahmad Arbery shooting a lynching and blames White House rhetoric for emboldening racists. So now it's Trump fault, Trump's fault, and it's a lynching. Here's a tweet I put out there. I'm going to talk about this. I said, the entire country is losing jobs and civil liberties, but woke evangelicals like Costi Hen, J.D. Greer, and Russell Moore are virtue signaling about a shooting in Georgia before due process without complete evidence and with an unnecessary assumption of racism. This isn't justice. And I stand by this tweet, guys. Um, I've, I've had some people upset at me for this, which is why I wanna kind of address it. Let's start with J.D. Greer's response here. J.D. Greer, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's, I'm sure a lot more, I just found a few things with a little bit of digging. Our family is hurting with the news of Ahmad Arbery. Here's what we can do. And he puts out a video immediately. He says, part of our family is hurting right now. I know it's still an active case, but I know there are brothers and sisters that they fear these things. They, f- they feel them differently. They just feel very personal. And it makes them ask, how long, how long does, does these kinds of strife, I'm reading his quote, questions stigmatizing a lot of the times go on. We pray for the end of this kind of injustice. He retweets Justin Amash. Sadly, it took a video and public outcry just to get this far. While we seek justice in this case, let's remember that millions of Americans continue to suffer injustices on account of race. We must stop our, um, I think he meant our, our vigilantism in our communities and double standards in law enforcement. This is sick. This is absolutely sick, what they're doing. You know, he's talking about, they feel these things differently. He's he's talking, in the context of the video, he's talking about, African-Americans. He's saying they feel things differently. Uh, They fear. They fear. And and look, it's, it's systemic racism, just injustice. Millions of Americans suffer injustice. Millions. That's what he thinks. This is just one example of millions of Americans because of vigilantism and double standards in the law enforcement. Let me ask you this, guys. What would cause someone in this particular demographic To be afraid is it conditioning is it because they're told that if you run and and you're black that you're going to get shot by white supremacists possibly or is it because of the actual facts of the case it's because of conditioning that's so clear and 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 it is is unfair it is wrong to heap burdens which is what they're doing they're putting a burden Uh, during covid19 when we're all cooped up you're telling um, insinuating to African Americans that they can't go for a jog because you, you might be in danger of white supremacists coming out and shooting you, guys. This seems textbook racism to me. <laughs> racism against whites, I guess that you know they're they're just so hateful they'll just shoot you for do- jogging. How about this? How about it's unsafe to that to have to break into a house and then suspiciously run and evade someone telling you to stop because they want to talk to you maybe that should be the message that's the thing that that is suspicious that's the thing you need to be careful of and don't do that would be the takeaway it would be a helpful takeaway be a true takeaway but no that's not what the president of the southern baptist convention wants to do this is where you start seeing the critical race theory being used as an analytical tool. And they say, oh, that's not critical race theory. There's so many other things that, yeah, yeah, there's interest convergence and there's all, I get that, guys. This is part of it. This is consistent with it. You don't have to be a dyed-in-the-wool critical race theorist, but this is what critical race theorists will tell you. Their take will be the same exact take as J.D. Greer on this. It will. Uh, it's systemic racism. And this is just an example, and you don't need to know the motives. They don't have to say they're racist. You don't have to have any evidence that they're racist. They just are because that's part of the fabric, and you'll find racism even on a McDonald's menu because it's everywhere. It's just part of our, our white supremacist society. That's critical race theory, and, and, and that is exactly what J.D. Greer is doing. So we are, we're already using it as an analytical tool, and it's subverting God's justice. I'll show you that in a minute. There's many examples of this. I'm not going to show you all of them, but check this out. Here's a letter to the Baptist State Convention executives. J.D. Greer put this out there. So this is going to the Southern Baptist Convention. The group asked state leaders to reach out to black pastors in their conventions to let them know you grieve with them. Lament ongoing racial conflicts and disparities. See that word disparity there? With them. And that you stand with them in this fight for justice and equity. Equity. Look up that word equity. Not equality. Equity. Letter to Baptist, This is a letter to the Baptist State Convention executives obtained by the Biblical Recorder, signed by J.D. Greer, First Vice President uh, Marshall uh, Osbury, and Second Vice President Noah Garcia. This is taking over your Southern Baptist Convention. Literally taking it over right in front of your eyes. Here's what Russell Moore said. Russell Moore's article, like it was so terrible. It was such, oh, the it, the whole thing. I, I, and I don't have time to, I'm just going to read you a little bit. Um, here, here are his hot takes. Here's what he, you know, excerpts from the article that he put out on Twitter. So we'll, we'll, we'll deal with those. The Bible tells us from the beginning, murder isn't just an assault on the person killed, but on the God whose image he bears. Okay, he's right. The courts will decide whether the men who shot Ahmed Arbery will be punished as murderers. Pray that the courts are right and Just in their verdict. Okay, there's nothing really wrong with that first tweet. Here's where he goes off the rails. We must also remember many of our black and brown brothers and sisters were killed by mobs or individuals where there was no video to show anything. Likewise, remember remember Jesus said nothing is covered up, that will not be revealed or hidden, that will not be known. Okay, why are you injecting race into this, Russell Moore? There's no reason to. Why are you doing it? How do you know this the outcome of this case wouldn't have been any different if it was a white guy breaking in? Whatever is ruled in this case he says we know that the blood cries from the ground in countless matters of violence and bloodshed and god sees and knows that's a word of promise for those weary of seeing injustice done here's what russell moore's saying let's pray for a right verdict but we know the right verdict because the blood cries from the ground this is just a pattern this is he's saying this is this is what happens when you're black in america and what verses does he use well he uses genesis 4 9 where is abel your brother luke twelve two. nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known Where's his biblical principles for justice? They're nowhere. This is just—it's Russell Moore's opinion. When you read the piece, even—I mean, there's so many ridiculous things in, in this. I—I'm I, not going to get into it, but but just read the piece. You'll see. I mean, he talks about uh, the uh, murder of Emmett Till, and look—the sign that you know marks that this is where the murder took place—it's got bullet holes in it. And they keep—they ha- had to replace it, guys. I don't know if, if Moore's just a suburbanite, but. To, to link this to the arbory case I, I mean it's a stretch anyway you're injecting race you're going full-fledged social justice warrior, saying this is all racism but secondly i mean look i might be living my impoverished student suburbanite lifestyle right now but there was a time growing up when i used to do a lot of hunting and fishing and i used to go to a lot of rural areas and everywhere including in upstate new york where i grew up everywhere you go in the country there's bullet holes in the signs just about if you're in an area where there's hunting and fishing there's probably more bullet holes the farther south you go. <laughs> I'm just saying. And it doesn't mean because it's racist. It just means there's a sign in the country and there's bullet holes in it. So you have to assume that it has to be racist to shoot bullet holes in a sign uh, marking out this is the place where you know, Emmett Till died. Now, was the person, and it could be one person. doesn't mean it's a systemic. But could, could whoever shot it be racist? Yeah, it's possible. Do we know that? No, we don't. And this is the kind of, this is look, this is resolution nine. This is critical race theory. This is systemic racism um, when there's no evidence for it being applied to these situations. Now, I got in a lot of trouble for this, and I'm going to explain why. Uh, One thing I've realized is that I think for most of us, we've lost a lot of faith in the big big pharma, if you want to call it that, the government, uh, on various levels, um, now we've lost faith in many of our church, parachurch institutions, denominations, and the leaders that are leading them. And it, it's it's more than most of us can take, to be quite honest with you. It, it's earth shattering to think that most of the authorities that we look to are not actually above board. I get that, and. When I said that Costi Hinn was woke and that um, he's virtue signaling, along with J.D. Greer and Russell Moore, I think that was a hard thing for some of us to take. Because um, if you went to G3 or you go to Shepherd's Conference or you know wherever conservative conference you go to, Costi uh, Hinn was there. And Costi Hinn says many good things, and he's excellent on the Word of Faith movement, the prosperity gospel. He's Benny Hinn's nephew. And look, I retweet Costi Hinn. I appreciate Costi Hen, very much so. Um but but just because you're right on one thing doesn't make you right on everything. And that applies to me, by the way. Uh don't don't believe it just because I said it. Check it out. Make sure that what I'm saying, even in this video, go do your own research. Don't don't just take my word for it. But I think we, we, we tend to platform heroes and we, we just really want to believe in them. We want something to cling to. Everything else seems to be falling in around us and organizations that would platform them. We really, look, no one is above making a mistake, including myself. Okay. You just got to realize this and it's good to realize it now. So I think it might've been better for me to ask the question. I generally do that. If I'm trying to sort of lead down the garden path, you know, to get, to get my audience to see, okay, here's a problem. Let's take it to the next step. Um, what could be the outcome? I just sort of went ahead of all of that, and I just said, "Yeah, Costi Hinn is woke," and that was a little much for some to take. So I want to I want to talk about this because Costi did respond to me. We're gonna go over his response, but it, but here's here's why I said what I said. Primarily, I. I have been hearing things about Costi him being woke for months now and I have not weighed in on any of that. I haven't done any research on any of that. I haven't, I've just been like, well, if it's true, it'll come to light. Well, it came to light in this. And look, I'm not backing down from this because th- these are all, and these are all public. It's not like I'm hearing this in private. These are all publicly said things. Here's what Costi has said. Now, please lend me your ear if you're skeptical of this and just y- you decide. And if I'm wrong, if I'm missing something, let me know about it. I want to know. I want to be corrected and I'm not above... Uh, apologizing if I get something wrong. But, But here's the evidence I'm looking at. This is on the 6th. So it's the day after the video's made popular. The video of the shooting. No one should ever die because the color of their skin. Period. Kosti Hinn. On Twitter. What's the assumption there? It has everything to do with race. It's motivated by skin color. The shooting. It didn't end there. He said later, about an hour and a half later, the same day, I'm of the mind that we got to be heartbroken and not ignore it. We got to, we, we can all at least say something. This this is honestly, this is where the virtue signaling comes in. And this is why I said, look, it, you know, this only goes in one direction because if we, we don't say, well, we got to say something against government overreach or against about the Michael Flynn case or, you know, any of the other shootings that have happened that haven't been. Uh, used by the social justice warrior, we don't say, "Well, we got to say something." Usually, we let people do what they want to do and talk about what they want to talk about. But in this case, there's a bar, there's a bar that has to be met. If you if you want to be a compassionate, heartbroken person, you got to at least say something. So he says, "We can all at least say something." Let's be honest. It is what it looks like. So he's he's drawing he's rendering judgment. It is what it looks like. An unarmed black man was shot. So what's he assuming here? He's unarmed, which we've already said that's not true. And race somehow motivated it. The fact that he's black is a significant factor here. There can be due process and investigation. That's law. But man, no one should minimize this. So is it minimizing it for me then to point out the fact that he wasn't unarmed, he's fighting for a shotgun, and uh, the fact that that he was black doesn't necessarily have to factor into this. Am I minimizing it? I'm not saying something. Does that mean I'm not heartbroken? I'm ignoring it? That's the virtue signaling angle, but it doesn't stop there. The next day, one of the great tragedies of social justice war, the social justice war this past year is all the noise it creates that mutes opportunities to speak up. Really? So, and I guess I'm part of this war. So, really have I muted opportunities to speak up? I don't think so. I mean, I I think I want people to speak up. If there's true injustice. I'm I'm encouraging you now. I'll go on the record right now. If there's true injustice. And I'll say this, if there is a racially motivated white supremacist motivated murder that takes place or crime then I think you need to say something about it. If nothing's being said about it, nothing's being done about it, you need to say something about it. But boy, you better have your evidence. You better know that that was the reason. Better have some re- or at least a reason to highly suspect it, probable cause. You, you shouldn't just go making false accusations. How's that? that? That would be the social justice war, right? No one's saying that a true authentic situation where racism is involved should not come to light. But he's saying, oh, that's what happened that's the the casualty of the social justice war this past year. All the noise. I guess that's what we're doing here. We're just doing noise. Mention racism, get called an SJW. White outrage, virtue signaling. Yeah. So if you mention racism, you're calling an SJW? No. <laughs> no, no, no. We just think that racism doesn't know a skin color. Racism, and and by that I mean the sin of partiality of thinking someone is less whatever, less worthwhile in some way because of their skin color. They're not as important uh, because of the melanin count of their skin. Yeah, that, that is wrong. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, that is wrong. And for Costi Hinn then to just say, well, anyone who mentions res- racism is going to get called an SJW, no, that's stupid. That's, that's actually, you know what that is? That's accusing people like me and other conservatives who have been fighting this, that's accusing us of wanting to hold back. Uh, and he doesn't mention us by names, but it's, it's, it, the implication here is what people, what, what you're going to, who's he talking about? Who's he talking about? He's saying for those who are against social justice, we're holding back, we're somehow uh, prohibiting or trying to stop real racism from being exposed. It's disgusting to make that insinuation. This world don't need our camps. It needs Jesus. Get out. Call it out. I'm an Arborist. So that's the virtue signal. You got to call it out. doesn't need our camps because I guess we're, <laughs> we're a camp mob. It takes me to the other, uh, I think this is a, either a Facebook post. I think it's a Facebook post. Um, might be a tweet. He says, um, what if instead of popping off about social justice and acting like a camp mob, we just mourn with black brothers and sisters over the horrific tragedy that just took place and use this to highlight a serious issue that is ruining lives, be a light. Uh, hashtag Ahmaud Arbery. So if you want to be a light, if you want to show that you're heartbroken and not ignore this, if you want to call it out and shine a light on the racism, then you, you got to put something out there. You got you to talk about this. You can't be the camp mob you don't want to do that. Um, you got to mourn. You got to show that you're mourning with your black brothers and sisters. Why not just mourn with the family? Why not just mourn? Why not just... Why does it have to be with black brothers and sisters? You got to mourn in the way Kosti Hinn wants you to mourn. In this particular way, this is the right way to mourn. And it's a serious issue that is ruining lives. In the family or in the black community? He just talked about the black community. This sounds like what J.D. Greer was retweeting from Justin Amash it's uh this is just racism it's systemic it's in our country it's ruining lives if you don't don't call it out i guess you're not being a light guys these are all these four tweets these four tweets or facebook posts these are all from costi hin directly there's un- indirect stuff i haven't even looked at all that here's one. jesse johnson wrote an article uh today i wrote about the killing of ahmed arbery from the perspective of the question what does the bible say about vigilantism the sin of vigilantism now i i know probably a little more of who jesse johnson is just because i I think i had him for d lab when i was at masters um at least he filled in and uh, i remember you know he was in back when i was at masters he was an evangelism guy and then uh i think it was uc son he was heading up that ministry and i remember visiting that I've, i've had many conversations with him but that was years ago and so i don't expect any of you guys to know who jesse johnson is not many people do but but he's i'm just telling you that's kind of the world he he's not a grace community church or master seminar any of that anymore as far as i know i think he's pastoring in the dc area but um last i heard but 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 he's going the whole vigilantism angle on this and costi hen this is incredible perspective well said guys this wasn't vigilantism they were within the law here this is the thing was it wise no i don't think it was wise would i have done it no i wouldn't have done it i would have just called the police. I think. <laughs> It's probably what i would have done but i don't know i mean i'll be honest there's a story uh, that I, I could tell you i don't want to wax long about it but years ago i remember uh, there was a guy who hit our sign um we lived my dad was in a parsonage and we um there was a sign outside uh, It was on a church property and it was like a drunk driver or something hits this sign and um you know car is you know anyway he flees the scene i went out i got in my i got in my pickup truck And I went after him, and I stopped him, and um, I I just questioned him. And I called the police, and I was trying to get him to wait till the police arrived. And the police did arrive, and as it happened, he ran into the woods. They did a search party. They found him, and they had me identify him later. Uh, There was another time when we had a problem on the same property with folks coming and doing drug deals, and there was one night. We had a little pop-up in our parking lot. And there was one night, it was like 2 in the morning, all of a sudden, it was, it's kind of a comical situation, but my brother and some of his friends were sleeping out in this this pop-up. It was like, you know, a fun sleepover, campout kind of thing. And there was like maybe 15 or so, like teenagers, throwing rocks at the pop-up at like 2 in the morning, and I get a call, there's people throwing rocks at us, and they were very afraid and everything, and so I... Did not know what to think. I know there had been drug deals going down. I went outside uh, to, to confront them, and I had a shotgun with me. I did. And I don't apologize for that. Now, would I have gone to the extent of these guys getting in my truck and really chasing this guy down? Probably not. With a shotgun, getting out of the, the truck with a shotgun? No. No. But I've been in similar situations where I don't know what's on the other end of the confrontation, and I want to just be prepared. I'm not going to point it at them, but I want to have it on me. And um, look, I, if, uh, you know, I'm not a father yet, but um, some of you who are fathers, I think, relate to this probably even more. I mean, that's, that's the role that I think I have. I do need to protect. It's not vigilantism. It's not vigilantism. Uh, and the police were called in both situations. I called them. so at least in the second one i called them. i think in the first one i told someone else to call but that's to to think that that's a vigilante move no they're that's not a vigilante move uh to do that you're actually trying to to hold them you're trying to get them to wait so that justice can take its course and there is something called a citizen's arrest anyway not to wax too long i just probably did but costi hin thinks yeah it's vigilantism here's another uh tweet he liked. And look, I didn't do a huge deep dive. There's probably more, but Rachel Denhollander, let me offer an attorney's perspective. This isn't self-defense. It's cold-blooded murder. And even if there was evidence he'd committed a crime, which there is not, this meets no legal standard for self-defense. So she knows that there's no evidence he committed a crime somehow. She magically knows this. Um, and it's cold-blooded murder. She just knows this. It isn't self-defense. Because, I guess I'm Rachel Hollander and I say so. It, it And Kostihan likes this. Well, that's the reason that I said what I said about Costi Hinn. Now, people freaked out on me. Some people, how can you say that? Costi Hinn is so right about the prosperity stuff. And yeah, he is. But th- here's what I said. I'll read it to you. Look, guys, I don't hate Costi Hinn one bit. I love what he's done against the prosperity gospel. He's taking an anti-biblical stance on justice, motivated by wokeness in this case. And I believe that. I'm sorry, but it's true. I provided four recent examples from the last day on Twitter, and that only took about five minutes of digging. I've been skeptical of claims that Costi is woke for the last few few months. He may not be characterized by it. Greer isn't completely characterized by it either. But they are, on a certain level, woke when they accept the it's racism interpretation of this. That shouldn't be controversial. You can still like Costi and support him. I retweet him too. Doesn't mean he's not wrong on this. Even our heroes can get things wrong, including me. Scripture is the standard. And I, I totally... Guys, I, I stand behind that 100%. I hope if I'm wrong like this and I publicly in multiple places make this error and it subverts justice and it's anti-biblical, I hope someone calls me out for it. Here's how Costi responded to me. A few quick thoughts, John, because I like Fred. There's a guy, Fred, who was uh, in the comments here. And he says, so <laughs> that's a slap in the face. I'm going to respond to you, John, but just because I like Fred. I'm not woke. The gospel is calling out racism. It's repentance of sin and salvation through faith. So he's saying, yeah, the fact that I think that salvation is repentance and faith means I'm not woke. So woke people, I guess to be woke, you have to believe the gospel is calling out racism. That's not what woke means, guys. Number two, he says, I didn't like what I saw in the video. Black guy was targeted. If you don't like my take, no worries. Calm down. So that's the second slap in the face that I'm overreacting. Calm down. Well, I don't know. Maybe falsely accusing people of racism when there isn't racism going on, or at least there's no evidence for racism going on. Maybe, maybe that's kind of a bigger deal, guys. Maybe we shouldn't be calm when. And I'm going to show you some other things that will make you realize why I'm. Maybe I'm not as calm as as he thinks I should be. But look, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing. Costi is not being calm. Costi is saying we got to call it out. Costi's. I showed you the tweets where he's saying we we have there's. We have to do A, B, and C in reaction to this, not in reaction to the Michael Flynn thing, not in reaction to uh, our liberties being lost. In fact, Costi has put out tweets that say, basically, it's loving your neighbor to, uh, you have to love your neighbor by not meeting. So that's where Costi is. But, um, but in this case, we, we got to go do something. <laughs> He's the one that's not calm on this. And I pointed out, and I'm told, cal- calm down. Here's how I responded. I said, glad to hear, brother. All the big evil woke guys say they believe in repentance and faith, which is true. Wokeness is perceived awareness of alleged systemic injustice, like injecting motives of racism without evidence. I hope you reconsider and calm down about racism when it's not substantiated. He probably didn't like that. I don't know, but... um I look. I'm open to talking to him. I'm open to talking to anyone. I even texted someone who I know knows Costi real well. I'm like, am I, I am I on the right track here? But I've reviewed everything. I I haven't got a response back yet from that person, and I don't. I'm not seeing where I'm off on this. Here's the um, here's the definition of woke, by the way. Uh, being aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice. And then um and then there's in context. So it's not if, if you believe in. Repentance and faith doesn't mean you're not woke. Now, I just want to point out some things. Here's some things that these guys did not, were not up in arms about. And this is tip of the iceberg stuff. But August 21st, 2018, Christian Bahena Rivera murders Molly Tibbetts. You remember this? I just picked... Ones I knew of of joggers. An illegal alien who has been living in the United States for four to seven years has been charged with a first-degree murder in the death of 20-year-old college student Molly Tibbetts after she went missing in her small town of Brooklyn, Iowa. She was jogging. This guy murdered her. And this case, actually, he hasn't even, I think he's going to see trial this year. It's taken like two years for him to get to trial. March 29, 2019, George Rios murders jogger Carolina Kano. George Rios, 33, was deported from the U.S., first in 2003 and then again in 2004, but snuck back across the border at some point. After that, they said surveillance videos showed that Rios stalked Carolina Kano, 45, before she strangled her with a cell phone cord, raped and drowned her as she was out for an early morning jog in Jersey City's Lincoln Park on March 24th, Authorities said. So here's someone who's just taken a jog, murdered by an illegal immigrant. You remember those, those guys? You remember the, the big evangelical guys saying... This is the bar we got to set. We got to go grieve. We got to show that we're grieving. We got it. This is systemic injustice, man. The, this happens. There's millions of Americans going through this. Illegal aliens are just ruining our. No, none of that. None of that. And I don't think I'm not saying illegal aliens are ruining our country. I'm just saying if you if you want to compare apples with apples, that would be the kind of reaction. Let me ask you a question about systemic racism. Uh, by the way, here, here's another one. I, I didn't put it on here, but I just came to my mind you remember there was a string uh or last year of anti-semitic attacks in new york city and you remember how at first the media kind of came out and said oh anti-semitic attacks and then when it became clear that those who were committing the attacks were of a certain ethnicity the media shut up about it you didn't hear anything from these the woke evangelical guys about it either i'm telling you there there are there the, the lord does not like unjust scales weights and measures And that's what we're seeing here. Systemic racism. Here are the statistics derived from data submitted to the FBI by more than 16,000 college and university, federal, state, city, county, and tribal agencies. And I have the graph right there for you. You can look at it for yourself. This is the kind of stuff you got to (laughs) like, almost got to go to the dark web to find it now. But it's a chart comparing black on white homicides to white on black homicides. And I'll just tell you right now, the charts don't compare. If you want to say there's systemic racism, it would go in the opposite direction, in, in murder. It would be more black people killing white people by a lot. Um, FBI data shows that while 500 black-on-white killings and 229 white-on-black killings were reported in 2015, 2,574 homicides were committed by whites against other whites, and 2,380 by blacks against other blacks. So, by and large, people within their own communities kill each other. People that are white tend to kill white. People that are black tend to kill black. But if you really want to play this disparity game, the disparity exists in favor, uh, or I said not to the advantage, of whites. Whites are killed by blacks more than blacks are killed by whites. And I hate even going over this because I don't care. A murder is a murder. People are people. And who who really cares what demographic is doing what? But if we're going to be accurate and we're going to actually go to the data... It's the opposite of what the woke social justice warriors want us to believe. This is from International Business Times, if you want to check it out. White on black crime versus black on white crime. New statistics show more killings between races. I believe this was 2016, which was uh, the most updated um, information that I could find. All right. Uh, I want to show you some things here. These are some prayers of lament that went out. And to, to show you how this is affecting the Southern Baptist Convention, take a look.
1: And The tragic case of Ahmad Arbery and uh, I know that for a lot of people in our church especially our members of color this is a very a very difficult and very fearful time and so um, I want you to hear me say something on behalf of of the church and that is um, we love you and we grieve with you and we lament with you that um, that there still has to be this fear and this question um, of, of what, you know, of, of, of people being judged and, and stigmatized and discriminated against because of the color of their skin and, um, and, and, and violent reactions. And we lament that and we're broken with you in that. Um, we yearn for justice with you and we are praying uh, for you in that. Uh, we know that, um, that, that what it means to be a family is that we bear one another's burdens. And so as this case unfolds, as it unfolds, we want you to know that we stand with you and we yearn for justice right alongside of you. And um, uh, your, uh, we want to be together in this. And uh, we want to pray together. We want to pray that God will heal our broken society. And that God will cause the gospel that begins in justice. And then goes beyond that to mercy and love. Would shine especially bright during this time. So um, can we bow our hearts as a church? Can we pray together for that? Father, we, um, we lament God we grieve the fear that some people have and um, even going outside and wondering, God, what people are thinking or what they're going to do. Um, God, we we feel those burdens of our brothers and sisters and God, we we want to stand alongside them like you would, Lord Jesus, to take upon themselves those burdens and we pray, God, for justice in this case. We pray for, God, an end to this horrendous sin of racism of discrimination God we pray that uh, you would heal our society in a way that um, everybody from the unborn all the way through people of every different ethnicity and every different um, economic level would be recognized as image bearers
0: so we hear a few things in that that's from JD Greer president of the Southern Baptist Convention and that prayer and that setup uh, that he said beforehand he thinks it's racially motivated um, he believes in the holistic kind of womb to tomb pro-life, um, in- movement interpretation that th- this is a pro-life issue, just like abortion is a pro-life issue. And we also hear him say that the gospel starts with justice in the context of Ahmaud Arbury. So we're calling, he's calling for justice in this case, assuming, I guess we haven't, that justice hasn't been served. And so he's calling for justice and he says, well, that's, that's the, that's where the gospel starts is justice, right? Right. The gospel starts though." Actually, the gospel starts with mercy. It starts with love. Uh, the justice is the law. The justice is what, what we talk about to get to the gospel, to get to the good news. The, the justice isn't the good news. Um, and, uh, but that's, that's the social justice uh, interpretation right there. Now, here's what James Merritt had to say. And
2: I just cannot even in, in words tell you how grieved, uh, how uh, heartbroken, how angry, how frustrated I was when I saw the video that I saw uh, a few nights ago. And as I saw that video, I thought to myself, that's not the America that we want to be. This is not the state that we want to be. This is not the communities that we want to have. My heart goes out, especially to my African-American brothers and sisters, over the tragic situation that has unfolded down in uh, South Georgia. And it just reminded me again that uh, Jesus is the only answer to any problem. It doesn't matter what it is, but even the race problem, Jesus is the only answer. And on the one hand, I I pray for God's justice to be done, and thank God there is a God of justice, and justice will prevail. On the other hand, uh, my heart reaches out to the uh, Arbery family, especially to the mother on this Mother's Day. And uh, I just pray God's condolences and comfort on all of you. And may what Satan meant for evil, may God use it in some way, turn it into good.
0: Now, he did a little bit better than J.D. Greer. He links it to Mother's Day and the family. um, But, of course, he still assumes from the get-go that it's motivated by racism. And I I show you that to just show you, you know, James Merritt's not considered as woke as, like, J.D. Greer. But um, here he is saying this. This this is getting into your average, run-of-the-mill Southern Baptist churches, not just your, quote-unquote, what we think of as woke Southern Baptist churches. So this woke thinking is, is, is coming into everywhere and people that probably don't even understand what wokeness is, they're becoming woke <laughs> on some level. And, and uh, let me show you one more just to show you how pervasive this is. We recognize, Lord, that this week uh,
3: many of us has seen um, terrible footage of even a young man out for a jog who was um, shot down by people in the neighborhood. And we grieve the death of Ahmaud Arbery. We grieve for the entire situation. We grieve uh, with his mother, who has lost a son, and his father, who has lost a son. Uh, We grieve for the entire community, Lord. We just pray for truth and justice in this situation. We don't know all the facts, but Lord, we. pray that you would work in this situation to bring truth and justice along these lines we pray for our country which has been so broken year after year decade after decade century after century um, especially with the history of um, putting down those that um, don't look like the majority culture Uh, we think about our African-American brothers and sisters, black men and black women that have been treated unfairly, been accused of things just because of the way that they look. And we grieve with them, and we call them your precious children created by you. We ask that you um, guide us, Lord, to stand for truth and justice. We ask you that you guide us, Lord, to... um, lift up a government and elected officials that will stand for truth and justice.
0: So that is uh, from a pastor who is a fairly recent graduate of the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I went pastoring a small church. And I just show you that to show you the fact that uh, this stuff is getting out there. This acid cannot be contained. And notice what he said at the end, praying for uh, political figures so that they would um, implement his, what he thinks of as justice and forward that this is having political consequences already, and it will continue to. And I said this a couple of years ago, I said, those who are graduating from places like Southeastern, um, they're, they've been fed a woke narrative. They've been fed this ex- exaggerated, and really it's critical race theory driven, this understanding of history that sees everything through race and cherry picks those, uh, those things that fit the narrative of white oppression, and then makes that, that's what American history is by definition. And that's uh, you know, the exceptions prove the rule. And and um, and of course, we haven't progressed is the other part of that. Uh, any problems that there were um, have not been adequately addressed. This is this is critical race theory. There's just no way around it. And it's already being used as an analytical tool. It's perverting the understanding of justice and it's happening everywhere and um you, you don't you may think that oh yeah jd greer and russell moore they're woke of course you know we all know that yeah well they're affecting a lot of people and a lot of other smaller churches notice uh you know the praise team you know as he's talking about this some of them nodding along and that's that's where we're going guys it's where we're going and uh if, if you're in a position to speak out against this and you don't take it and, i mean I, I mean not like a virtue signal speak out like you're actually in a church and you can say something about th- this kind of thing You can confront it, and you don't take it. I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. I really wouldn't. Um, This stuff has to stop. And it is creating division within the body. It's not healing anything. It's just creating division. And it's subverting justice. How is it subverting justice, John? I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about it. Um, I want to start with this. Samuel Say uh, has a lot of good things to say. Uh, Samuel Say is a uh, blogger. And he put out an article I just really appreciated. Um, And and he, I I don't even know if he's aware of all the things that I just talked about, but he seems to, um, like, he thinks that this was a horrible situation, which I do too. But he seems to think that the facts suggest that McMichaels are guilty of murder. And I I, I don't think that's the case. But here's what he says. Nevertheless, incriminating as the video appears to be, I know it isn't wise and righteous to rush to judgment that is the basis for my blog after all i name my blog after james 119 because i strive to be quick to listen and slow to speak quick to read and slow to write be quick to listen slow to speak yeah <laughs> let the process have its course wait many white people routinely fail to recognize the level of anxiety their burden they burden black people with because of their idle and careless words about supposed racism I fear Travis and Greg McMichael and many careless people, white, black, and all people have made some black people, especially young black people, afraid to jog in peace. And I'm glad he said this because to, to blow this thing up to the proportion that it's being blown up to is making a lot of people fear and it's unnecessary. So let's let's go over some verses here. Let's talk about biblical justice. Innocent until proven guilty, right? That's what we believe as... Uh, in Western civilization at least, he who justifies the wicked, and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord, Proverbs seventeen fifteen. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, Proverbs six, sixteen through seventeen. Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen says this A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed on the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. There is due process uh there needs to be some level of investigation of some kind to determine um are the wicked being justified are the righteous being condemned uh this this is the part of the fabric of the society that we live in and these are biblical understandings now here's here's something i this is really important guys motive motive we're being told the motive is white supremacy uh the motive is racism let me give you the four motives for, for murder for homicide in scripture, well, they're not, they're not even all homicide, just mur- for killing someone. Here are the motives. Defense. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. Exodus 22.2. 2. So if it's self-defense, thief, or even if it's a thief who's breaking in and you kill him, you're not guilty. You go free. That would apply to this case where you have a guy who's attacked. He attacked them first. Punching him, trying to take a shotgun, and he shot in the process. That would seem to apply. Here's another um, area. Now, maybe you say this applies. Well, here, here it is. Accidents. Deuteronomy 19:5. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place to which he may flee. Exodus 21:12 through 13. And then Deuteronomy 19.5 says, as when a man goes into the forest with his friend to cut wood and his hand swings, the ax to cut down the tree and the iron head slips off the handle and strikes his head so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live. These are the cities of refuge. So he can escape uh, the Avenger of Blood if it's negligent, or if, I'm sorry, if it's an accident. If it didn't mean for it to happen. Someone died, but it, it's not not my fault. There's an accident took place. Here's another um, motive. So we have defense, we have accident, negligence. If, however, an ox was previously in the habit of goring and its owner has been warned, yet he does not confine it and kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall be put to death. So if an ox gored someone and you didn't know the ox did that, that's an accident. If it happens a second time and you knew you had knowledge that the ox could gore someone and you just didn't pin it up and it killed someone, that's negligence and you're killed. Death penalty. And then there's the fourth case, premeditated murder. If, however, a man acts presumptuously towards his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar that he may die. So even if he's in the temple, in the altar, kill him. Kill him. Um, Because he's acted presumptuously towards his neighbor. He's premeditated murder. Now, of these four motives, what's everyone saying? Which one are they saying is uh, the, the, the motivation here? They're saying it's premeditated murder. They meant to do it because of racism. Now, which one is it actually, now that you know the facts, which one does it actually fit in? Accident, negligence, or defense? I'll let you answer that question. We're, we're making a category area here. Now, he, here's, here's the last question I have. Where's hate crime in any of that? Where does it say, well, if it was a Canaanite and you kill them, or better, we should probably pick a different group. You kill us you you kill a different ethnicity if you killed an egyptian you know or something like that man then poof that's that's racism you kill someone from a member of another tribe of israel you kill a sojourner oh man that's that's going to be worse for you cuz that's a hate crime no you don't see any category for hate crime it's a sin to kill someone premeditated murder is a sin negligence is a sin and if it kills someone doesn't matter if they're red black yellow blue doesn't matter if you didn't like them uh, for whatever reason that you may have chosen, the fact is you did it and that's what you're tried on. You're not tried for, tried for thought crimes. The only motivation that matters is to what extent did you plan it? To what extent did you plan it or was there negligence involved? So for all these guys who talk about social justice, who are, are so up in arms about this situation, have they even bothered to think through what the Bible says about murder and motive and murder? It doesn't appear that they have there is a true justice in social justice ain't it guys so I hope this was helpful in explaining some things uh, to you about this case and and I wanted to really use this case as an example of how the woke movement goes way wrong way off they try to cover their footprints say they're not woke in some cases say uh, this is just justice even say it's part of the gospel and it's way off in left field. This isn't biblical at all. We need to completely reject it. And we need we I have compassion. Even for guys, you know, like Costi Hinn. Like look look, this may be something he just got pulled into and he got wrapped up in the emotions of the moment. But there's there's a certain level of condescension he has that's keeping him there. And um I would just encourage those who know him and are close to him and if he listens, like reconsider this, please. You some of you guys you know that I've even mentioned in this video, some of them do some really good work in other areas. Don't be pulled into this. Don't be pulled into this. It's it's wrong. It subverts justice. So uh, there you go. Uh, that's how even critical race theory can be used as an analytical tool. And it's being used right here, um, at least aspects of it. Critical race theorists wouldn't disagree with these takes. And uh, I hope you can clearly see that. Now, there's a lot more coming, guys. I keep saying that, but there, there really is. Please pray. Please pray for me. Please pray for um, just in general some of the, some of the projects on of. Pray for the enemies within the church, guys, because uh, we we got some things uh, that we want to put out there, and um, and and they could they could be potentially um, important. And just just pray for humility for those um, in evangelical institutions who. Uh, I think, are tempted to support the institution and circle the wagons and support the guy that they're friends with. Pray that truth would trump tribalism. (laughs) That's what I'm praying for, and institutionalism. Uh, Truth needs to be the thing that we're concerned about, guys. And so, um, anyways, I appreciate all your support. God bless. Until next time, bye now.